0: have uh, Dr. Jeffrey Arthurs with us um, who will be preaching. For those who are newer to CB, Dr. Arthurs was our interim pastor um, a couple years ago. Um, He is a professor of preaching and communication at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and we welcome him back. Greetings in the name of the Lord. So good to be with you. A real... uh, joyful, a happy occasion for me to be back with you. I wish I could see the people who are gone, uh, Jeff and Ying and Melissa and others who are on the retreat, but it's good to be here with uh, Pastor uh, Pat and Natalie and Ted and uh, the whole gang. And uh, uh, as Natalie said, I was employed here part-time for about three, three-and-a-half years, but it's been a year-and-a-half or so since that was completed. Good to be a bit back with you. Uh, when I left about a year-and-a-half ago, we were still coming out of covid And the numbers and the parking lot and everything uh, uh, reflected that. But uh, today, that parking lot was really full when I came up. And I noticed they even added a new area, uh, sort of the upper upper level. And that's where I had to park. It took me about an hour to walk down here to the church today. (laughs) But uh, good to see you. All right, uh, today we want to talk about the church. We're pausing uh, the Jonas series. Uh, Pastor Jeff asked me to address this, and let me see if I can provide an entrance into uh, this topic of the church. A number of years ago, National Geographic did an article on the Berlin Wall, And as you may know, the Berlin Wall was actually a double wall, and it had a no-man's land in between. And the wall was made through the city of Berlin in 1961, and they demolished everything between the walls. Buildings and houses and roads, uh, everything. Everything except one thing. A church. Nobody knows why it was allowed... To stand, but you see it here. It was called the Church of Reconciliation. It was built way back in 1885, and there it stood in the middle of the floodlights and the barbed wire and the upturned spikes in no man's land. And it became kind of a symbol of what Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the powers of hell know the power of symbols also, so in 1985, it was torn down. As the members of the church watched the church fall, they staged their own symbolic act. They danced on top of the wall, that's how they said, goodbye. Uh, To the church. But the story wasn't over yet. In 1989, the wall came down, and the people of the parish got out there into what was formerly uh, no man's land, and they started searching for the remains of their church, and they discovered it piece by piece. There was the altar, there were the bells, there was the cross. It was now distorted uh, uh, in shape after the bell tower fell. And this new united country of Germany uh, gave the parish the right to rebuild, to repossess the ground. And today, if you go there, you can see a small, very small, it doesn't look like this, the chapel of reconciliation. And I tell you this story, true story, as a kind of a visual Real life parable of our Lord's promise the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so, if you want to give yourself to something bigger than yourself, I encourage you to lift your vision higher than your career. Now, career is great. I love my career, I'm you know, too dedicated to it, uh, but there's something higher. You want to give yourself to something that will last because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. This This is it. This is my body. This is my plan. This is the mystery of the ages now coming to fruition. If you want to give yourself to something bigger than yourself, devote yourself to the church. I've been doing that for 45 years now. And you can do that as a lay person. Most of us are lay people. It's great. It's fine. You could be a full-time worker. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered becoming, you know, some kind of pastor or some kind of church worker? Why not? This is where the action is. The action of redeeming this world. If you want to give yourself to something bigger than yourself, maybe lift your eyes to see his plan. Well, today we have a very mundane topic. I've given you kind of a lofty (laughs) introduction to it. But, you know, how does this vision of the church, the mystery of the ages and the body of Christ, how does it actually work itself out uh, in its administration, in its day-to-day running. So today, we want to talk about uh, elders and deacons. Like These are the, what would you call them, officers or ministers uh, of the church, elders and deacons. And so we'll get into that topic. And before we get into that topic, uh, let's uh, remind ourselves that all of us all of us who are Christians, all of us who belong to his body, who are part of a local assembly, all of us should be ministering. It's not just the, the, the high and lofty elders and deacons. All of us are supposed to be ministering. I'm referring to the one another statements in the New Testament. There's 13, did I count right? There's a, a bunch of these different statements. Love one another, be you are members of one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, and so forth. And that's for everybody. We're gonna talk about the officers of the church, but uh, all of us have a part to play in the Apostle Paul's metaphor, all of us are body parts. And it takes the whole, you know, every functioning of every organ and every, every sinew and every sweat gland and everybody uh, to make the body function correctly. All of us have a spiritual enablement, a spiritual gift, and we are to use those gifts for the sake of the body. We are a family we are a holy temple being built together. We are a body. You might think we are a flock. Not necessarily a flock of sheep. Let me give you another metaphor for the church. A flock of American golden plovers. Do you know this bird? It's a small bird. It weighs four to nine ounces and it is a champion flyer. It can fly 60 to 100 miles an hour if it gets the winds just right. It can fly as high as 16,000 feet. And this bird is a long distance migration champion. Uh, Some of these birds go from the southern tip of South America down in the Arctic And they fly three to 5,000 miles, much of it over the Atlantic, uh, to nest in North America, even pretty far up north in North America, Canada. And they do this migration every year. And, and, And the scientists are baffled because how do they do this? They're just these small birds. The scientists have discovered that their bodies like you know the fat reserves and the calories and everything their bodies don't have enough energy <laughs> to fly that far without stopping when they when they're over the water how do they make it it's like physically impossible for them to make it you know how they make it they fly in formation you've seen formations the geese And the bird out front is really, you know, cutting through the wind. A lot of wind resistance, flapping, really burning up the calories. And the birds behind, you've seen the wedges, are just kind of cruising along, almost resting. If you were in a peloton on a a bike race, you would be behind the leader, maybe even going downhill. And that bird gets tired, and another bird takes its place. Flap, 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 flap. And then another bird takes its place, and... The whole flock arrives. Scientists say they arrive with 3% of body energy in reserve. The scripture has different pictures for the church. I'm offering a modern-day picture, uh, a flock of birds working together, teamwork, bearing one another's burdens, Serving one another. Somebody here, right now, needs wisdom. You got some big decision. You got some thing. You're confused. And someone else here has a gift of wisdom. And that person can pray for you and support you and counsel you and Help and serve one another. Somebody here uh, needs encouragement. I would suspect many of us <laughs> need encouragement. And guess what? Somebody sitting here has a gift of encouragement. You're just really good at it. <laughs> you say the right thing in a personal way, not some formulaistic. You have a gift. And you lift that person's spirits and give them courage. You put courage into uh, the one who's fainting. So this is the body of Christ. Now, let's go ahead and dive down. (laughs) Let's get mundane. This is a very teachy kind of sermon, a very explanatory sermon, but I did want to give you that big picture uh, for the context, even as we dive into the particulars of elders and deacons. All right. New Testament teaching. What do elders do? Who are they? What's it all about? Well, Uh, There are three terms in the New Testament that seem to be the same office. uh, You can describe it differently, but it seems to be the same function in the church. Elder, bishop, and pastor. Uh, You have the Greek words there, presbyteros, episkopos, and poiminos. The first one was common in the Jewish circles. Remember, the villages uh, villages and, and different groups and tribes would have the elders of that group. and it seems to have just kind of been borrowed come right into the church with its Jewish origins. And these elders, uh, those who presided over the synagogue, kind of lay pastors, lay leaders. Bishop seems to be the same office, but it is a Greek term. It's borrowing from Greek culture. The Apostle Paul seems to use this term when he was planting churches among the bishops because, you know, they, they knew that term. Uh, in the Greek culture, it's like the commissioners of a, a, a colony or a city. And so the, Paul borrowed that and said, you serve in the same way uh, for a, a local church, Episcopos uh. And then there's pastor. That's the one we use a lot today. It, it actually is not talked about very much in the Scripture. Um, our culture has kind of, you know, made this office called the pastor of the church. It's probably better to think of a leading elder of the church, or maybe a full-time paid elder of the church. And uh, this term means Shepherd. This is not common in the New Testament, uh, but it refers to the same office. Let me show you how it probably refers uh, to the same office. For example, in Acts chapter 20, Paul identifies, he's, he's addressing this group. He calls them elders, presbyteros, and then he calls them overseers. He kind of conflates the two. It's the same group he's addressing. And then he talks about their work as shepherding. So it seems to be the same uh, office. Same thing is going on in First Peter. Peter addresses the elders, and then he direct, directs them to be shepherds of the flock, serving as episkopos, overseers. So, as I say, it seems to be the same office. Well, the question arises, what about the things we've added to church government um, in modern America and in other places. Uh, for example, uh, some churches have trustees. What is a trustee? It's not talked about in the scripture. And some, uh, some churches have like leadership teams or boards. Is that okay? Is that compatible with the New Testament teaching about elders? And I think it probably is. Uh, we have freedom. I don't think the New Testament is super prescriptive about that. It might be more descriptive. Nevertheless, it gives us a paradigm and we would do well to follow, you know, the early church, the early, the New Testament church. But we have freedom as long as somebody's shepherding the flock and overseeing and responsible and guarding the souls. And guarding the doctrine. This is what elders and deacons do. Somebody says, "Well, what about you know that third third word, uh, the pastor, the, the shepherd." Um, yes, I think uh, having a a lead pastor like Pastor Jeff or Pastor Judah, and then other pastors like assistant pastors, I think that's compatible with this model in the New Testament, but those people are actually just elders. They might be kind of set apart. they might be ordained. they might have had special training and seminary. They might be paid full-time or part-time by the church, so they can devote you know, so they can work full or part-time. That's fine. I think that's compatible. But um, church leadership is the elders, the, the overseers, the uh, shepherds, whether you're professional or a lay shepherd. And that seems to be uh, the case with uh, God's instructions about elders. What do they do? Well, here's a whole bunch of passages that we can kind of develop a sort of biblical theology of what they do. They shepherd, equip the saints, protect from error. They pray and anoint with oil. James talks about that. Uh, They teach, they oversee slash lead slash direct, and then the scripture says that elders are to set an example for the flock. That's sort of the job description of an elder. You don't see a lot in there about business, do you, and budgets and all of that. Once again, that's, I don't think that's incompatible with our biblical teaching on elders, but it's not the primary focus. This is what elders do. What about our responsibility toward elders? Lay people, you know, the man, the woman in the pew. Uh, The scripture tells us we should submit to our leaders, probably means elders. We should honor them, including financially. Do not rebuke an elder, but privately confront one as necessary. Follow their example. Do not make their job difficult. Uh, that's actually my life verse. Do not make it difficult for the elders to lead. I love that verse. I'm gonna put that on my grave. <laughs> but that's what you should do. You don't make it. being an elder is hard. There's conflict, there's this opinion and that opinion. Who do you think you are? <sighs> don't make it difficult. It's really hard. <laughs> And the scripture commands us. How about deacons? Uh, the term uh, is a general term. It's used more than 70 times in the New Testament, and it means somebody who executes the commands of another. Somebody who serves, somebody who does what a, a higher person, a superior person directs them to do. Sometimes the word meant slave back in the day. There's another word for slave, but sometimes it was slave or, or they might have been employed, they might have been paid, but uh, somebody who serves. Jesus said, I'm a deacon, I'm a diakonos, whoever would be great among you must be your servant because uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. So that's a general sense of serving. Remember, one of the one another's is serve one another, diakonos one another. But then it has a specialized meaning as a church office. And the origin of the role of deacon was probably there in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember that story? Uh, in the church in Jerusalem, there were Jewish Christians and there were uh, Hellenized, or Greek, or saved-out-of-paganism culture, Hellenized Christians. And the two, I mean, they were different. They ate different things, and they they dressed differently, and yet here they were, one body, (laughs) one flock. And it, they did not get along, and there were problems, and the elders were, oh, they're pulling our hair out. You're making my job so difficult. So the elders appointed, what, what was it, seven? Was it six or seven men of high character to take care of this uh, problem um, among the, the Greek Christians and the, the uh, Jewish Christians. And they said, the elders said, you do that so that we, elders, can devote ourselves To prayer and the ministry of the word. That seems to be the origin of the office of deacon, although the word isn't used there, seems to be the origin. So, in a specialized way, uh, uh, we have things like this Paul and Timothy uh, were writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, along with the overseers, episkopos, and the (laughs) diakonosses. So it's a specialized group, a specialized office in the church, First Timothy, before they are appointed as deacons. So a specialized office. So what do these people do? Well, uh, this is even less clear in the New Testament what they did, but we, we get an idea from the, their name, a servant, deacon, diakonos, and apparently uh, these, this was a body, a group of people who ministered to the physical and the administrative needs of the body, maybe the property or uh, uh, portioning out food if food was available or, you know, the administration kind of stuff uh, and the uh, physical needs of people also. This office appears very early in the history of Christianity. And um, after, after not too many years, after within like a hundred years or so of the, of the origin of the church, this was an established office of the church. And early Christian leaders say that that Acts passage, Acts chapter 6, they say that that was the origin of the office. Well, what do deacons do? As I say, it's a little bit ambiguous in the New Testament, but it seems to be basically anything that helps free up the elders to do all their list of things, protect from moral error, and teach the word, and shepherd, and pray, and anoint. And the deacons take care of uh, things that enable them to do that. Care of physical and administrative needs of the congregation, releasing the elders. Well, how does one become an elder or deacon? Scripture says you must desire the office. We don't rope people into this, and we don't guilt trip them. This is a high, beautiful office. In a little bit here, I'm going to show you the rewards, the value that God puts on this for elders and deacons. You have to desire this, desire to serve, desire to lead, servant leadership. The Bible says you must be appointed, with great care. Don't be flippant about this. We've got to get a warm body to fill the such and such. No, this is important. They must be appointed. And then the big emphasis in the New Testament is on character. Uh, Above reproach and uh, managing your household well and good reputation with those who are outside and uh, trustworthy, all this character stuff. The New Testament doesn't say anything about business knowledge or you know, graduate degrees or stuff like that. Now, once again, I think that's compatible. Those things would be very helpful, but the big emphasis is on character. It doesn't say you have to earn so much money to be an elder or deacon. Interesting. Do, do you think any slaves... Because there were slaves in the early church, a lot of them. Do you think any slaves were elders or deacons? Do you think any slaves had spiritual authority and watch care and protection and teaching over these you know, landowners and these city officials? Boy, what an upside-down kingdom. The first will be last last will be first. But anyway, it talks about uh, character. Uh, this passage is, is typical of how does one become uh, uh, an elder or deacon regarding character. Uh, they must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy, not dis- uh, for, for, for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them, uh, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. All right. Now, what are uh, the rewards, the benefits of serving? Uh, oh, excuse me. Let me deal with this uh, question that comes up, a legitimate good question. Were women deacons in the early church? The answer is not clear in Scripture. It seems to be yes. We don't know for sure, but it's likely. Why do I say it's likely? Because of this kind of thing. I commend to you Phoebe, that's a woman's name, uh, a diakonos of the church in sencrea Now, it could mean just a regular servant, just a, you know, the normal general meaning of the word diakonos. I think it's probably the office but we don't know for sure. But then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the deacons' wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, sober minded, faithful. And this uh, passage, the word there, their wives, the word their is not in there. That's uh, translators provide that, they, they add that. So the deacons must be good and trustworthy and honorable, and their wives also. It should be wives also. And the word wives is not the typical word for wives, which means a wife. It can also be translated women. It's a general word for women. So it might be translated deacons. you got to have good character and be trustworthy. Likewise, women should be dignified and high character. And it seems to be a parallel set. Like here's sort of male deacons. Seems to be kind of female deacons. Don't know for sure, but that seems to be the case. And then in church history around the year 112, uh, a pagan, uh, Pliny the, El- the Younger, he was a persecutor of the church. He wrote to the emperor, the emperor of Rome, Trajan, and he said, I thought it more necessary to inquire into the real truth of the matter by subjecting to torture the two female slaves who were called deacons. Seems to be that specialized office, not just the general you know, servants uh, like we all are to serve, Uh, These slaves, two female slaves, were also deacons. So, can women uh, serve as deacons? Uh, I believe so, and the Constitution of uh, Crossbridge says, yes, we we have uh, female deacons, and I like that, and I think that's a good thing. I think it also helps us contextualize in our culture, helps us to uh, demonstrate the equality and the value of men and women, So, I think the answer is yes, uh, women can, and I would say should, uh, serve as deacons. All right, finally, then, the Lord's promise. When the chief shepherd appears, the chief shepherd, poi menos, you elders, you under shepherds, will receive. The unfading crown of glory. In the New Testament, there are a small handful of crowns. There is a martyr's crown. Revelation talks about that. There is a crown of life. Here's another one the elder's crown. I don't think it's literally true. I don't think it's a, you know, a crown. But but it's a symbol. And it reflects God's heart. Jesus says, I'm a shepherd. I'm I'm the chief shepherd. And you guys are my representatives. You're the under-shepherds. And I just want you to know, this is important work. It really reflects my heart. You keep doing your job well. Don't do it for gain and you know money and don't lord it over people. This is servant leadership like me, like like I serve. And when I come back, when the chief shepherd appears, I will say to you, well done. Nice work. Receive a reward. And then for deacons, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They gain a good standing. What does that mean? It's the only time in the New Testament that phrase is used. It's hard to translate, but the idea is they're, they're, a, they're a degree above or they're a notch above In another place, uh, in secular literature, it it talks about uh, the same word for putting on a pedestal, like kind of up there and kind of displayed. Well, that doesn't sound real Christian, does it? You Oh, put me up on a pedestal. But I I think uh, the Lord is saying, if you serve this way, uh, the last will be first. And, And you gain honor sort of a notch above (laughs) Uh, people who are serving in other ways. You deacons, you gain a good standing for yourself and great confidence in the faith. I think the idea is when we look at ourselves and we wonder, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. Oh, I do so many bad things. Uh, I don't know if I'm worthy of all this. Uh, But when you see the Lord working through you to serve as a deacon, you think, wow, he must be alive and well inside me. I I, I have confidence uh, of my standing uh, with the Lord. This is not salvation by earning. It's evidence of salvation, evidence that the Lord is alive and well in your heart. I mean, he came to serve. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And when we do the same thing, it's like, wow, you must belong to Jesus. You have confidence in the faith. So um, when you balance the books and when you drive the van... (laughs) And when you vacuum the floor, and when you uh, meet to deal with the conflict that's going on, and when you decide, hey, there's only so much money, should we apportion it here or here? Both things are good. And when you make these decisions, the work of deacons and elders, it seems very mundane, very worldly in a sense, but it is precious service to the Lord Jesus and to his body. And so you gain a good standing and great confidence in the faith. When we gain this confidence, we say in our hearts, it's not me that's doing this. It's as a result of the Holy Spirit. It is not I, but Christ in me who is working through me. And there you have some teaching from the New Testament, about elders and deacons. Thank you, Jesus, that you came as a deacon, as a servant. Help us to walk in your steps by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.